what's going on? It's Coin David Furness. Welcome to my show. Coin David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast for Sunday, April 19th, 2020. What's going on? How are you? What's happening? We are coming to you live on the north side of Chicago. Whether you're listening to us on your mobile device or Spotify or YouTube or Twitch or my Just For Fans or Kick. Um, KIK or SoundCloud um, or Player FM or Stitcher um, or you know wherever you might be finding us coming to you from across the globe courtesy of Bean Town Networks. What's going on? My name is Quinn David Furness. I am the host, creator, director, costumist, key grip, and best boy of this show and gaffer. I hardly know her, um, and we are coming to you live. Well, it is uh, an interesting Sunday here in the city of Chicago. Um, when I woke up, it was uh, pretty nice out. I mean, mid-60s, sunny, wind not too bad, um, kind of the, the perfect day for spring, right? Exactly what you want. Well... I uh, just about an hour ago got back from a long walk, like the uh, Ed Harris movie, right, guys? Um, who else is in that film? Who plays the female in that movie? Let's go to Google. Let's uh, the long walk, right? It's the it's the World War II movie where they go from the Siberian uh, prison camp down to India. I think it's based on a true story. It's also based on a book, um, which I, I think they have different titles. Um, maybe the movie is called something different. So The Long Walk might be the name of the book. It's a novel by Richard Bachman and Stephen King. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, they're the same person. Wow. Um, that might, what am I thinking of? This is different. What's the Ed Harris movie... Where they walk around Lake Baikal and um, the way back, is that what it's called? The long walk, the way back. Close enough, right? He's also in The Firm. A lot of movies starring Ed Harris that start with the, the, uh, the, the word the. Okay, The Way Back is what it's called. 2010, Saoirse Ronan, Ed Harris, Colin Farrell. And, uh, oh, Mark Strong is in it. Yeah. It's a very long film. Um, okay. How did we get there? Oh, uh, I was walking. I went for a long walk. Eight and a half miles. Went down to, uh, Lakeview. Saw my friend HB94, Hilly Benson. Um, visited for about 20 minutes and then walked back up here. Uh, but, uh, the reason I mentioned a weird day because when I woke up and when I started my walk, it was, um, you know, Around 60, sunny, not bad wind. And now it's, I'm recording this about 5 p.m. on Sunday, April 19th. It's still sunny out, and the wind hasn't been that bad today, especially compared to yesterday, but it's now into the mid 40s. Um, it's very cold, um, very chilly, and not, that's not what it was like earlier today. So I don't know. Stuff is funky. Um, thank you. Before I, I go on with anything else, um, thank you so much. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode, you know how great it was. If you haven't 
had the chance to listen to our April 12th Easter episode with Tim Muther. I would implore you to hit pause on this one and go check that one out. Um, it's a really interesting podcast, um, and I don't do very much talking, which typically brings in higher ratings. Uh, it was really informative, and I hadn't talked to Tim uh, over the phone you know, or in, in person, well, it was not in person, but, I, you know, other than the occasional text or Facebook message, I hadn't talked to Tim, you know, since I was a senior in high school. Um, it was awesome. You know, Tim is a really fascinating guy, and he can be at times really goofy, at other times very poignant. Um, but, man, it was fun. Um, you know, I think we got a couple stories out of him from his days in the corn, and I could go on and on. There was just, man, if if you've never, excuse me, if you've never detasseled before, it's just such an interesting culture. Um, and, man, the, the things that happen every day is just something different. I mean, one, just starting with the weather, you know, you can have days that are like high 60s and it's pouring rain and detasseling in lightning storms. That was always fascinating. I'm pretty sure we break broke some significant child labor laws doing that um right the other thing I, I probably mentioned this and you know i did it when i was in high school but even before that in like middle school you can start doing this when you're 12 years old and so you get these crews of you know 30 40 kids on a bus and you know the oldest person is probably like 17 or 18 and you have a whole bunch of you know 12 13 14 year olds um, which is just wild to think about working way harder than I ever work now. Um, yeah, but, uh, boy, you're detasseling in the rain. That's hard. But then you get the days too. you know, you're doing this in, um, July is the primary month for this July into early August. It's as hot as it gets and it gets very hot in Northern Illinois. Uh, you know, you'll get days that are easily in the nineties and, uh, you know, you'll oftentimes be going at, couple hours two three hours without any sort of water or water break of any kind just getting beat down um by the sun um and you know you do your breath best with sunscreen and stuff but it's uh boy it's it's tough uh we mentioned uh kevin hardenberger um no i've known kevin for a while um and from uh from swimming and I think Muther might have mentioned this. I'm not sure if we were on the air yet, but um, yeah, there was one classic day at uh, Hughes Hybrids out in Woodstock, Illinois, where um, it I don't it wasn't raining when we were out there, but it had just been a huge rain. And uh, if you can't put two and two together, when there's just been a gigantic rain, and then you go walk into a cornfield, it's going to be muddy, and. You can't underestimate just how much more difficult detasseling corn is when it's muddy because you're just sloshing around, you're slip sliding away like a Paul Simon song. Um, and then even, you know, a couple of days after when things have dried up, you get really um, weird ruts and stuff from the irrigation machines that have gone through. And so every single step you take, you're on uneven ground. Um, which is really tough on your legs, your knees, your hips, 
to be taken thousands and thousands of steps through cornfields with uneven, you know, uneven ground is just really challenging. Uh, but there was one particular day at Hughes Hybrids where it was very muddy, and um, I think you just remember hearing Kevin Hartenberger like yell for help. Other just really weird thing. It almost feels like a horror movie when you're detesting corn because, and particularly depending on sort of the thickness of the field um, and how high the corn is. And in Hughes hybrids, the, the corn that we were detesting tended to be, you know, five or six feet tall. So you can't really see anybody you know if 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 there's somebody one to two rows next to you and and they're close to you you can tell you know largely based on hearing but also you can slightly see them through the corn um but you, you if they you know you could have somebody just be literally 20 to 30 feet away from you in that cornfield and you would have no idea um, because of just, it's, it's like a jungle in there. And I mentioned it's a horror movie because it's like, you have all these people in this field and if no one's, you know, making any noise or something, all you hear is just the, that's what tassels sound like when you pull them out of the, the, the top of the corn plant, if you didn't know. Um, but yeah, man, there was one day when, uh, Kevin must have just been standing in one place for too long. Um, that's why they tell you when you're detasseling corn, you're supposed to keep moving. Um, and uh, we had, I literally, I don't remember if I was one of the people who, who helped, but there were, you know, three or four of us who had to follow his voice, find his row and um, yank him out of the, yank him out of the mud. Cause he was down to probably close to his knee. Um, in mud, it's like, you know, you watch movies growing up like Princess Bride and you're always concerned about quicksand and falling in the quicksand. You always think it's going to be a much bigger deal in your life as a kid, um, than it turns out to be. Turns out there's not a lot of quicksand that we're dealing with traditionally as adults. Uh, but in, in this case it was like that. Um, and I think Kevin Hardenberger lost his shoes, um, you know, we'd have to get him on to, to confirm that, see if he remembers a story. But that's a classic moment, man. And that was at Hughes Hybrids. And something that, that Muther mentioned to me on the on the show last week that was actually really awesome was that Don Hughes, who I don't know if he was just like the straight-up owner or if it was like a family business and he took over for his dad or, or how it worked or what it was. Um, but Don Hughes is like the, the most intimidating person I've ever met. He's, you know, a, a fairly young guy, or at least he was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, probably, you know, like 30, 35, something like that. And always wore, like, the same cowboy hat and sunglasses. And I swear, this guy's never smiled a day in his life. And just really seemed to enjoy chewing out us crew members, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds. Um, which, I, I mean, boy, I'm just not really a chew-somebody-out kind of person, so I can't really relate to that. But they'll just let it be for for uh story's sake but you know muther mentioned on the show last week that apparently i was i was don hughes favorite um 
And I don't, I, I wish someone would have told me that, you know, 10 years ago, um, when it would have, you know, made me, you know, helped me get through these summer days of eight hours walking through corn where you can't see anybody. And, you know, especially boy, before I was, you know, before I really hit puberty. So like 14, 15, before then, um, when I was still, I was a pretty little guy. I can recall the days, um, where you go into that, that field corn is what we call it. Um, and, uh, it's the, the tassels are above your head and you got to pick them. And if you can imagine doing that for seven, eight hours a day, that is brutal on your shoulders, on your traps. Um, I'm, I'm not really a crier. It's not really my MO traditionally, but there were days when I would spend a whole row just walking down, just like silently crying because you just felt like you were on a chain gang or something, man. Um, really rough, but yeah, especially man, the, the field corn out at, at Don Hughes, Hughes hybrids and Woodstock, that stuff was tough, man. There were other, other, you know, fields that were a lot shorter, weren't so bad. Like you go out to Marengo where the, uh, the mink barn is located. I swear to God there is, and maybe it still exists. I have to do some Googling, but there were fields that we detasseled next to um, Marengo, Illinois' mink barn, which is literally like a clothing outlet for clothes with mink fur. If you don't know what a mink is, um, it's like a ferret or a weasel. Um, I don't really know what specifically it is that makes it different from those animals, but it's it's in sort of that family or that vein. Um so there were fields next to the mink barn, and um, they always just felt kind of eerie, you know? And so, some people claimed they could hear the, the cries, the screams of adolescent minks being slaughtered from inside the mink barn. I can't confirm nor deny this, but um, I think it was at one of the mink barn fields one time when uh, our beloved bus driver, Gail, rest in peace, Gail uh, passed away about five or six years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago at this point, um, but got stuck, stuck in the mud with the bus. I don't remember if we like pushed it out or if the tow truck came or how, how we ever got those buses out, but it wasn't the only time. The bus got stuck multiple times, but that was always wild. We used to eat lunch under the school bus. I bet you you never consider that. Myself, my brother Jack, who I detasseled with on the same crew for a while, probably, you know, four or five years. Um, And uh, our friend Tom Reith, who uh, is a really good pianist, one of the best in Rockford um, growing up, and um, went to IMSA, Illinois Math and Science Academy, went to Davidson where he was best friends with Steph Curry and now is in medical school up in Wisconsin. Um, Tom Reith and, uh, oh, we used to play baseball with or against Tom Reith. I don't remember if we were on the same team. I think we were. Tom's a good guy. Um, we would sit under the bus. You're asking, Quinn, why on earth did you guys sit under the bus to have your lunch? Well, you got a giant-ass state like Illinois that has, you know, just cornfields and soybean fields, and that's about it. 
you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of shade. Uh, but turns out, if you crawl under the bus, there is ample shade. So we would have summers where we would crawl under the bus. You'd have your sandwich and your bag of chips, fun size, and uh, some pudding. And um, boy, what else would we have? I don't know, maybe like a candy bar or something, like a tiny little bite-sized thing. Um, boy, in hindsight, for the amount of calories we burned, probably nowhere near the amount of calories we needed to consume. Uh, I mean, you're out there walking in, you know, fields for six or seven hours on an average day and just sweating your buns off. Um, probably should have had more calories than that. I don't know. I certainly would if I was doing it today. But, um, yeah, we had one summer where <laughs> we took, I think Tom, Tom Reith had a plum. And he took on the first day, and there were, like, screws under the bus. And um, he just, like, inserted the screw into the plum. And it, we, it was just our science experiment for the next, you know, four or five weeks as July um, waged on into August to see the effects of a uh, plum. I think we had some, you know, some carrots or something as well stuck under there. Um, we, yeah, we had our own little uh, sort of biosphere going on there for the summer that was fun and then this is the last thing i'll say before uh we read some ads and get to the second half of our podcast today i keep it short ish because i didn't come in with much to talk about um so i hope you're enjoying my detasseling nostalgia and i could i could talk to you for a couple hours easily but i won't um the last thing was my last summer detasseling i was 18 so this was you know literally a month, two months before I went away to college, um, I had my own bus crew. So I was a crew leader. I was in charge of a bus crew. It was a new kind of fledgling startup crew that had sprung the year before um, down in Rochelle, which is about half an hour south of where I grew up. Um, and so Muther, Tim Muther, who was on our show last week, gave me my own crew for my last summer. And... Um, you know, it's a it's a good opportunity. Uh, you make a lot more, and you're not traditionally you don't spend your days walking through a row and pulling stuff. You're kind of organizing, supervising, doing logistics, payroll. Um, you're still in the field when everybody else is, um, and you're still catching tassels because my crew didn't know what the hell they were doing. I should mention listener discretion is advised. When you're listening to the Bean Town Podcast, number one, we'll occasionally use some language. Number two. This podcast is objectively terrible. But um, I, I tell you what, I, I was given a crew of about 35 kids. Uh, everyone was between like 12 to 15, which is not what you want. Um, because even if you have people that don't have experience, it's just nicer to get, you know, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. They tend to have a little bit higher work ethic. Um, I, I literally think, and I, I thought about this a little bit, I think I had three kids on the first day that had he tasseled the year before. Um, and then everyone else was a rookie which is not good. Um, that's real bad because what you want to do is um, the way you, you detassel is you have, you know, the kind of rookies who are new to it, don't really know what they're doing. You know, they get their own row, but then you have squad leaders, people who will be in charge of like four to six rows at a time, walking behind those people, checking their work uh, and pulling tassels that they miss, which I, it never really, you know, this concept of like having having a low pull percentage 
I never understood it, right? Every single plant has a tassel. You show up to each plant. You pull the tassel. You go on to the next one. But I tell you what, man, you get kids, especially my kids on this, you know, this crew when I was 18, um, 2013 summer, that are just pulling like 60 to 70%. And I, for a lot of people, it's, you know, they just give up. They don't care. But a lot of people, they're like doing their best. And that's how, how well they can do. I never understood it. It really seems like a simple concept. Every plant has a tassel pull the tassel, go to the next plant. So that's why you have squad leaders there to, to check work. Um, but my, I had three, three people on my crew that had previous detasseling experience. They all quit after one day. Um, so I spent the next, you know, three or four weeks with a crew of kids who had never detasseled before. Um, and they slowly, like a horror film, slowly started to get picked off one by one. Um, they didn't have a very strong work ethic and 18 year old Quinn really didn't have a lot of, uh, management experience. I think I was a good manager. I think I was a good boss, but I didn't really, you know, know how to inspire or rally these 12 year olds. We even had incentives. I introduced incentives. We had a golden spike, which had been, uh, stolen from a railroad track that we detasseled next to. And every day you would hand out the golden spike to the top performing detasseler. This didn't even motivate them. So I just, by the end of the summer, there were literally like six of us. It was awful. But, um, you know, the corn affects us all differently. And it certainly gives you corn fever. A uh, semi-mythical ailment brought on uh, by corn rash, which is a completely real um, ailment. Corn rash is brutal. You get it on your forearms, and um, it just burns like hell, man. It, it was awful. Um, but those are just a couple, uh, you know, stories off the top of my head. Um, I I found this, you know, last week when I was preparing for my talk with Tim. There's an interesting um, YouTube video. I think it's done by Vice. It's like four or five minutes long. Um, just follows this one girl um, in like a, a day of detasseling and, you know, she does some interview questions. And it, it's just a good kind of insight. If you're just not familiar with what corn detasseling is or what it's like, go check out that video. Uh, if you just, you know, search on YouTube corn detasseling, um, I think it's done by Vice, I think is who did it. It'll it'll pop up. The one thing that you see in a lot of places um, is a lot of people who detassel go through fields that have already been gone through with an automatic machine that pulls anywhere from like 50 to 70% of the tassels in a row. Um, we didn't really have that. Occasionally, you'd go into a field um, down in Rochelle, you'd see that. Um, where a machine had gone through before, but that was not very common. Um, and then, you know, you sometimes you see actual like detasseling uh, or not detasseling machines, but like tractors with the detasseling attachments. I don't know how to, how to describe it, but they have like different buckets that sit between each rows as the tractor moves through the field. And you have two detassels actually stand in these buckets as the machine moves. So you don't actually have to walk. You're still pulling all the tassels, but you don't actually have to walk. We had that occasionally, um, right? Like when you go out to Hughes hybrids, you see that. Um, but that wasn't, you know, a, a super common occurrence either. 
most of the time, everyone was walking, everyone was on their feet, and every plant had a tassel, um, which is as hard as it gets, in my opinion. But that's a little bit about corn detasseling. Let's read some ads here, and then I just have a, a couple of things I want to mention um, for our second half, and uh, we'll, we'll end it there. Pretty low-key episode. I hope that's okay with everyone. Home Pride, Oregon. All right, here we go. Pops, family business. Are you tired of your... Mm, good start, Q. Are you tired of selling your house for less than a quarter of what it's worth all because you couldn't find a reliable home inspector in time and we have all been there? Well, Oregon listeners, there's good news. Home Pride Inspection Services in Bend, Oregon is Central Oregon's hottest new home inspection provider with home inspection services including things like He's going to read the list now. Heating and cooling, roofing, plumbing, and so much more. Home Pride Oregon is both contractor certified and home inspection certified. I put the and in all caps so I know to emphasize it. So you know you're getting the good stuff. If you're tired of big real estate wrangled on the home inspection market and you want a safe certified home inspector you can trust, you got to call Steve at 541-410-0316 or visit homeprideorgan.com. And it's another first down bears I'm like Jeff Joniak over here. Again, that's 541-410-0316 or you can visit homeprideorgan.com. Again, one more time, why not? Usually it's it's only written for twice, but I'm feeling a threefer. Again, that's 541 410 310 0316 or visit Home Tell them Quinn sent you. Maybe you'll get a 1% discount. I don't think that's true. Don't hold me to that. Steve and I have not worked that deal out. Use coupon code Quinn at checkout. <laughs> See if something happens. I don't know. We should try. Um, it's worth a shot. Uh, shout out to the Samson Q2U series. It's actually been working pretty hard lately. Um, you know, it's, it does family chat on Sunday mornings. And uh, the Scott Farrell audiobook. Whoa. Big, exciting news. Um, we have finished recording what Scott wrote. Now, what is still left to do, you might be asking. And why are you talking about it in the middle of the ads? Because I thought of it right now. And I tend to lose my train of thought very easily on this show. Um, I, so the book ends at the end of, what, 2016, I think. Maybe 20, no, at the end of 2016. Um, so there are still three and a half years between when Scott finished writing and where Scott is currently at today. So what I have done and spent some time doing and I'm now um, uh, finishing up is researching and investigating what has happened to Scott Farrell, our friend Scott Farrell, since the end of the book's writings. So I'm writing, physically writing an epilogue. I have it in a Google Doc right now that is catching everyone up to you know april 2020 420 blaze it on where scott farrell is in life what he's been up to um and then i will read that i will record it so it'll just be like a bonus chapter although it certainly won't be as long and hopefully not as insufferable as the rest of the book and then the last big thing i have to do well two big things 
But the last big thing I have to do is write my critical review, which I might record. I don't know. I don't really know if I need to, but it will just be written. Um, and it will uh, give me an opportunity to share my thoughts um, as well as um, just consolidate all the awful things that Scott does in this book and um, you know, make some comparisons to Joker. Although Scott's a must, much less sympathetic character than uh, Joaquin Phoenix is. And then um, the last thing to do is really just figure out how I want to upload and distribute it. You know, right now it's sitting on like four different very large GarageBand files. We're talking like four to five hours a piece. Um, so I got to figure out how I want to do it. If I want, if I need to go back in and kind of break each chapter into a separate file and then upload that to youtube that might be what i have to do um that probably makes the most sense but we'll see tbd so uh i mean it's the type of thing where if i applied myself i could finish it by next week i'm not going to do that um because i kind of just take it at my own pace i work on it when i want to and that doesn't that's not very often that i feel that lately so you know give me another month or so it'll be done but um hey to finish it up in four or five months not bad for a you know book with what five hundred pages something like that I'll take it um, but that's the Samson q two u series, and as a reminder, when God speaks, he uses a Samson last one here cuts by q, which it, we have been hit very hard by the stay at home order covid nineteen I have not made a single sale, not had a single haircut since quarantine started and didn't have any before but also none after so times are tough um and there is no you know there is no you know donation fund for barbers you know you get it for you know actors musicians other people whose work has been completely shut down because of COVID-19 but you talk to the barbers like myself nothing there's no relief fund for us and you know I spent that $1,200 government stimulus check right away on groceries and hookers. Uh, Bob and Weave, we all know the hairstyle. We all love it. But how many Chicago-based independent barbers can actually give it to you the way you deserve? Enter Cuts by Q. It's like Enter Sandman, but different. Cuts by Q has been independently owned and operated since 1995 and is probably one of the better barbershop operations serving Chicago, Cook County, and the greater Chicagoland area, including Northwest Indiana. Can't forget about those guys. From beehives to bangs, faux hawks to flat tops and everything in between, you got to call Cuts by Q at 815-298-7200 or you can email cutsbyq at yahoo.com. Again, that is Cuts. Q-U-T-Z. By Q at yahoo.com. Sing it with us loud and clear. Open up your windows. Be like in New York at 7 p.m. or whenever it is when they all clap. Um, but this is for Cuts by Q. Oh, when you need a fresh do, something snappy and new, just call the experts at Cuts by Q. All right, uh, just a few notes here, and uh, then we'll call it a day. One, you may have seen on my Instagram today, if you follow me, at q.queendy, um, I treated myself to a cinnamon roll made um, at my local grocery store, the Devon Market. Um, 
to celebrate a little bit, I am down 45 pounds on the year, which is exciting. I have been uh, haven't talked about the diet a ton. I kind of just briefly mention it here and there, um, but you know, um, or I guess I'll just lay it out straight here. Haven't had a drink yet this year. No alcohol. This is something like day, I don't know, one ten or something like that. Um, I haven't had any pizza, not a single slice. Um, which is a big thing for me because I like pizza a lot. And I live in Chicago where you can get access to the best pizza man known to man. Um, I also, donuts are also a big thing for me. I really like donuts. And you say, well, Quinn, you just had a cinnamon roll this morning. So, like, what's the difference? You're right. Um, but just, you know, the fact that I, I have had one donut Um our dean at, at the, the college I work for brought them in to a staff meeting one time, and um, I, I had one for lunch instead of my lunch that day. That's the only donut I've had this year. It was back in you know, January, February, something like that. Uh, so those are sort of the three big things, and then I've just been working out like crazy, you know, um, especially under quarantine. I've just been running a lot uh, because there's nothing else to do. I mean, I wasn't really running that much pre-quarantine like three days a week maybe two to three days a week now i'm at five um my uh my my routine in case you're you're wondering monday through thursday at noon i walk one mile and then later around three or four i run um I never really know how far I'm going to run until I start, and I just sort of see how I'm feeling. But on those Monday through Thursday runs lately, it's been anywhere from three and a half miles up to about five miles is about as far as I'll go on one of those runs. So, you know, not short short runs, but certainly not long runs, kind of average. Uh, running at like an eight to eight and a half minute pace, but I don't track any of that stuff really. Um, and then... What I do on Fridays, I take a long – I also do my my uh, walk, my mile walk. It's the same loop every single day um, at noon. But then instead of a run to just give my legs a little bit of a rest, I still go out. I'm still out on my feet, but I just go for a long walk, a three- to four-mile walk um, on Fridays in the mid to late afternoon. And then Saturday mornings, I have been – or I guess afternoons now, um, going for long runs. Yesterday it was nine and a half miles. The week before it was 12. The week before was like eight. The week before that was like 10. I don't know. I can't keep track. I don't write stuff down. Maybe I should, but who cares? Uh, I go up to Evanston. I like running up there for my long runs right now because normally my long runs would be along the lakefront path, but that is out of order. Uh, but you go up to Evanston, you can run along the lake. It's great. Um, so all in all, you know, like this week I logged, um, oh, and on, on, you know, Saturday nights, I go for a one mile walk to, to shake it out. And then, um, today I went on like a eight and a half mile walk, something like that. Um, keeping it loose. So I, you know, I'm running like, uh, anywhere from 25 to 30 miles a week and then walking another, I don't know, like, 12 to 15, something like that. Maybe even more than that this week. But, um, yeah, I mean, and then just eating not very much. Um, 
not like I'm starving myself, but I'm on one meal a day right now. I just have a big dinner. Um, and, you know, I, I usually come in at like 12 or twelve to 1,400 calories on average on, you know, like a Monday through Friday. And um, some more on the weekends. Like I'm splurging today. I'm closer to 2,500 today. But, um, yeah, and just stay diligent. Don't drink your calories. And I don't snack. Drink a lot of water coffee, tea occasionally, and I'm down 45 pounds. I've got um, another probably 12 to 15 pounds to go to be where I would like to be. Um, but the thing with, with you know the scale is it's just like, I mean, it's a number that only you are ever going to see unless you decide to share it with somebody. So the really the important thing should not be well, what does your number say. It should be how do you look? Do you like the way you look? What do you want to change, et cetera? Um, so by that, by that, uh, way of thinking, I, yeah, I still have some work to do. I still got some love handles going on. Um, and, uh, I still have some upper back fat, which is something I never really dealt with. It just kind of popped up, crept up out of nowhere, um, that I would love to shrink down. That seems to be the biggest thing in my, you know, losing 45 pounds this year that just has not wanted to budge. Got some upper back fat. That's just like hanging out. Everything else, every other part of my body, I've seen trimmed down. Um, I was trying trying on some pants I hadn't worn, you know, since quarantine started, and it will be interesting when we go back. I'm going to need to really tighten the belt. Um, but the upper back just doesn't seem to want to budge. I don't know. I you can't really target. It just needs to. If it wants to go, it'll go. I don't know. Uh, but I treated myself today with a little cinnamon roll from my local bakery. It's the first time I'd ever gotten anything from their bakery, and I've been going there for you know almost a year now. So pretty solid, pretty good stuff. Um, nice to have homemade goods, not very highly processed. The last thing I want to say is probably the most depressing thing. Um, although we don't have to let it be depressing, I was just I rather than starting it off at the the start front end of the show um and kind of casting a somber tone i wanted to save it for the end and just kind of throw it in here um because it's it's kind of sad and i've been thinking about it a lot um and it's a very it makes me sound kind of douchey uh because i'm very privileged but i was supposed to be um on a flight physically right now as we speak, as I record from LAX to Honolulu International right now, um, I, the plan was to be in Hawaii from Sunday night through Saturday morning. Um, I hadn't had a ton of things planned out from like an excursions perspective. Uh, all I really had was the you know the flights were set, the rental car was set, the Airbnb was set. It was right on the ocean in the Mormon town on Oahu, which was going to be wild. Um, Lay, something like that. I forget what it was called. Um, obviously, I'm not there. Uh, we were going to do maybe the first ever podcast from the state of Hawaii. Who knows if there's ever been a podcast from Hawaii? We can't know. Um, it was going to be my 50th state, and I was really excited to do some hiking, and uh, I was going to climb a volcano, hopefully not fall in. I was going to go snorkeling with the manatees, and I was going to go to Waikiki Beach. 
but um, clearly that's not happening. The fingers are crossed for the, uh, you know, quarantine to end COVID-19 to die down a little bit. Um, I'm still going, right? Because these stupid companies, you know, United, Airbnb, they don't refund you. They just give you future travel credit. So I'm still going. It's just a matter of when, not if, which is good. But um, I was I said this on uh, Family Chat this morning. It feels like the Truman Show trying to hit my last state here, number 50. I've been uh, – it's just – I've been talking about Hawaii for so long. And I'm not sure if, you know, everyone always took me seriously when I was talking about it because that's a big trip, big thing to do by yourself. Um, but then I finally, you know, over the winter committed, I said, this is happening. I have the money, have vacation time. We're doing it. Um, even though, you know, no one's coming with, that's okay. I'm doing it by myself. Um, so I finally committed to it, buy the flights, book the travel, Airbnb, rental car. I was going to get a Corvette. It's going to be awesome. I was going to go to the pineapple factory, the Dole plantation, Bob Dole. He'll literally host you. I think he passed away. Um, But Bob Dole will literally host you there. Animatronic Bob Dole is there to welcome you with open arms. You go, you pick your own pineapple. Oh, the air is so dewy, sweet, tender like the night. Man. Man, that would have been nice. I tell you what. Um, And I was going to have a slice of pizza. I was going to have Hawaiian pizza. Damn. You're like Clay Davis on the wire. He was going to have Hawaiian pizza? Shit. I love Clay Davis. Anytime I'm feeling down, as in right now specifically, all I got to do is go watch some Clay Davis clips on YouTube. And for, for those of you listening who made it this far, kudos. Uh, but if you haven't seen The Wire, which I don't think most of my listeners have, just and there, there are no spoilers involved in this, just go watch like a Clay Davis compilation. Um, you know, find something that's just like a minute, two minutes long, especially the ones of him saying shit money laundering in my town, West Baltimore. Shit. That is my favorite character. No, my second favorite character in the wire. My favorite is, uh, Dan Valchek. God, I love that guy. He's so awful. Um, but we were talking about pineapples, um, pineapple pizza. Shit. Um, this is helping uh, bring my spirits back up. But Hawaii um, is is still going to happen. It's just not happening right now. But we were going to do a podcast live from Hawaii, which would have been awesome. It's my last state, number 50. Um, and uh, I'm so close to doing it. And I feel like once I hit that, then I will feel very, like, freed and unrestricted. And now the world is my oyster from a travel perspective. So that was sort of the uh, semi-somber note, but trying to keep a uh, a uh, a smile on my face and looking ahead to the future because I know it's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So that's really what I wanted to share with you today. We had some detasseling nostalgia. We talked about my diet, my weight loss a little bit, and uh, we talked about the fact that I'm not in... Uh, the Mormon Town right now. Oh well, Mormon Town that could be a uh, Broadway musical. I will start writing it. 
Maybe you could Mormon town. It'd be like a combination of the Book of Mormon and South Pacific, neither of which I've ever seen. A real mashup. There could have been a Glee episode on that. Damn. What a miss. Um, yeah, okay. That's, that's what I got. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out to us. Beantownpodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's Beantown, B-E-A-N-T-Podcast at yahoo.com, and we'll get back to you shortly. You can tweet at our show. We are at Beantowncast. You can also tweet at me personally. I'm at White Buns. Follow us on YouTube, Quinn David Furnace, and on Instagram at Q.QueenD. And uh, Jack Links, if you're out there, help a brother out, you know? We're not getting any cuts by Q revenue right now, so we could sure use some advertising revenue from our friends here at Jack Links. Feed your wild side, jacklinks.com. He says, as he sips out of his Jack Links travel mug, courtesy of Andrew Dennison, a fine employee of your company. Last thing here, I started reading Crime and Punishment. I've never read it before. I never really read Russian literature before. Um, it's interesting, you know? I am. Uh, I just finished part one. Let me tell you, this guy, Rascal, I just call him Rattata in my head, like the Pokemon when I'm reading. Rattata is crazy, man. Like, I feel like he jumps into some some shit here, and we don't really get a lot of like warning. Not necessarily warning, but like we don't really know what's going on inside this guy's head before he goes into this stuff. Like, is he mentally? Like, is he all there? I don't know. Because it seems like he was just, you know, kind of down on his luck, having some bad days, dropped out of school. Like, when I'm down on my luck, having bad days, I eat some chocolate, although maybe they didn't have chocolate in, you know, St. Petersburg in the 19th century. Uh, But I eat some chocolate and play some game pigeon, and uh, I think of Clay Davis. Shit, partner. This guy's doing some, I have no spoilers, but oof, you're going to want to read it. That's all I'll say. Hey, I tell you what, let's get the Tishmingle Blues fired up because my name is Quinn David Furness, and this has been my show, and I thank you all for listening. We will come at you next week with another episode. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll check in on you next time.